morning, everyone. As Andrew mentioned, we're reading from Romans chapter 3 today. If you have a church Bible, it's on page 913 in the English Bibles, and thank you for that. Um, It's on page 1825 in the Chinese Bibles. I apologize for not being able to say that in Chinese, as Lachlan did for us last week. But (laughs) praise God that uh, he speaks to us in a language that we can understand. So Romans chapter 3, verses 9 to 31. What shall we conclude then? Do we have any advantage? Not at all. For we have already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike are all under the power of sin. As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their ways, and the the way of peace they do not know. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable accountable to God. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of His blood to be received by faith He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. Where then is boasting? It is excluded. Because of what law? The law that requires works? No, because of the law that requires faith. For we maintain that a person is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles too? Yes, of Gentiles too, since there is only one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through that same faith. Do we then nullify the law by this faith Not at all. Rather, we uphold the law. Well, happy uh, Reformation Sunday to everyone. Uh, My name is Craig Foster. I'm one of the uh, ministers here at the church. And uh, before we 
get into that, pa- that great passage, uh, let's, let's pray together. Father God, we just give you great thanks for these, the five key principles of the Reformation. Scripture alone, faith alone, grace alone, Christ alone, for God's glory alone. Lord, and as we look at your word this morning, we pray uh, that these aspects would be clearly at work uh, and that we would be changed by your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, I'm not someone that normally gets hooked on TV drama series, uh, but there is one that has has grabbed me this year, uh, like no other actually, uh, which I'm trying to work through still, and it is uh, this one, The Suits. It's about a law firm in the Big Apple in New York. Uh, They're a group of incredibly smart uh, and clever lawyers who never seem to lose a law case. Uh, I don't want to spoil it for you, but one of the things that keeps you glued to your seats in this series is that uh, the main character, Mike Ross, Patrick J. Adams, is a fraud. He claims to have a Harvard law degree, but he doesn't. It's all made up. Uh, Other than this, he's a very likeable He's a very honest uh, guy, he's a brilliant lawyer, and he has a photographic memory. So over every scene is the ever-present question, will justice be served? Will Mike Ross, the guilty one, get caught for being a fraud? I won't tell you the answer to that and ruin it for you, but what's so interesting also about the series is about this inner guilt and how it plays out in Mike Ross's life. At times, he managed to just ignore it and carry on winning law case after law case. But there's often significant moments where the guilt starts to play on him and uh, haunt him in a way. And his unconfessed sin of being a fraud lawyer begins to slowly eat away at him. And it affects and destroys relationships around him. And isn't that a universal truth? That the guilt of past sins or unconfessed sins can start to play on our consciences. Some are better at covering it up than others, but guilt always seems to have a way of leaking out and affecting particularly relationships and those that are closest to us. Now, you may be here this morning and have guilt over past sins, and it's something that you really struggle with. Perhaps you think that God has not really forgiven you, that he still holds these past sins against you in some way. Well, our topic today of justification And the passage, Romans chapter 3, verses 21 to 26, is a message that helps us deal with our guilt in a biblical way. And I want to consider justification under three headings today. The dilemma of justification, the gift of justification, and the living of justification. So firstly, the dilemma of justification. Now, in the Bible, God's character is described as being just. But his character is also described as being merciful. So there's a sense that we're on the horns of a dilemma because God must punish our sins because of his justice. But he longs to show us mercy and forgiveness because of his character. Now, over the past couple of weeks on our series on the cross, we have seen how God seeks to solve this dilemma. We've been in the temple with propitiation where Jesus took the wrath God's anger for our sins on the cross. We've also been in the slave market with redemption, where Jesus paid the penalty for our sins and brought us back and rescued us from slavery to sin. And today we're in the law court, 
with justification. Uh, And this word justification appears seven times in our short passage, verse 21 to 26. Uh, It's the same word, righteousness and justification come from the same Greek word. They're used interchangeably. And this is uh, a definition for us. Justification is to be declared not guilty by God or to be declared righteous by God. Or a favourite Sunday school definition is to be seen by God as just as if I had never sinned. The dilemma, the question for us with this is, how does God remain just and punish the guilty while also showing mercy and forgiveness as he longs to? And the answer to that dilemma is seen for us in verses 24 and 25. Let's have a look at verse 24 and 25. It says, And all are justified, all are righteous, freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement or as a propitiation through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance he left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. So in these two verses we have our three key words over the last three weeks. We have redemption, we have propitiation there, the sacrifice of atonement, and we have justification. Massive couple of verses in Scripture. Simply to summarize it, it is that justification is the righteous Son of God here in this passage. Jesus, on the cross, takes the death, takes the penalty for us so that we could receive mercy, so that we could be forgiven. It is the greatest swap in history. The innocent one stood in the place of guilty humanity. Now, there's no real illustration that can adequately describe this amazing swap, but there is a fictional story from China that helps. Uh, There was a time in China where opium smoking was on the increase, and the emperor loved his people, uh, and he was grieved that opium was impacting the people and destroying them. So he passed a law. Anyone who was guilty of using opium would be killed. Uh, This helped for a while as it stopped the opium trading and and smoking. But someone was caught red-handed and that person must be killed. And the man who was caught was the emperor's teenage son. So the emperor was in a great dilemma. On the one hand, he loved his son and he longed to show him mercy and show him forgiveness. But if he did that, it would show a mockery of his justice system. So the crime must be punished. Otherwise, the emperor and his justice would be forever mocked in the kingdom. So he is on the horns of a dilemma. He needs to be just, but he longs to show mercy. So the king decided that he would allow one concession. His son was allowed to wear a mask uh, over his face so that his identity could be protected as he was killed. And then the man was taken to a nearby hill, and there they had him beheaded. And as they took off the mask, they discovered that it was not the son, but it was the father who died. The father, the emperor, had died for his son. And it was decided by the emperor's other rulers that the son should go free, that as the father had paid the price, that they would treat the son just as if he had never sinned because the father had taken the punishment for his wrong. So the son was now seen as innocent as the punishment had been served. He was justified. So we see on the cross that this dilemma of justification is solved. God was able to uphold his justice by punishing Jesus, the innocent one, which enabled him to show mercy and forgiveness to us. 
guilty humanity. It's amazing. Now, that's the event of justification. But what does that mean for us? Which brings us to our second heading, the gift of justification, of righteousness. Now, as we heard earlier from Pete today, uh, today is Reformation Sunday. 500 years ago, on the 31st of October, 1517, a man called Martin Luther walked into the city uh, of Wittenberg in Germany, walked up to a church and nailed his 95 theses to the door, an action that sparked the Reformation, which split the Catholic Church of the day in two, became the Roman Catholic Church and the Protestant, protesting church. And Luther was a Catholic monk, and he'd become so offended by the church of his day that he wanted reform. And a key area where he wanted reform was in the area of justification because the Catholic Church at that time had begun to add more and more rules upon people saying, you must do this and this and this and this if you want to be justified, made right in God's sight. So Luther bravely decided to stand up to the church of his day. And as Pete said, we're unlikely to be here today in this Protestant church if it wasn't for that man 500 years ago and what he did. So on this Reformation Sunday, by God's good timing, we are looking at the doctrine of justification that was at the heart of the Reformation and the Bible passage that was at the heart of the Reformation, Romans chapter 3, verses 21 to 26, as it is described by some as being the most important paragraph ever written. Now, there's other words used to understand our salvation. There's propitiation, as we've heard, there's redemption, but none other are used nearly as many times as this word justification. It is used some 200 times in the New Testament, which is why the centrality of justification has been recognised by famous reformers. This is what Martin Luther said about this doctrine of justification. He said, The doctrine, justification by faith, is the head and cornerstone. It alone begets, nourishes, builds, preserves and defends the church of God. And without it, the church of God cannot exist for one hour. So the point is that there is no salvation without justification. And what we see in verses 21 to 22 of Romans chapter 3 is that God's righteousness, God's justification is a gift. Cannot be earned. Have a look at these uh, verses. In verse 21 it says, But now, apart from the law, the righteousness righteousness of God has been made known. It has been revealed. And then in verse 22, it says, this righteousness is given. It's a gift through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. So God's righteousness in his character is given to us as a gift to those who believe. Now, before Martin Luther's conversion uh, as a law student, he was walking back to his university uh, and he was, him and a friend were caught in a thunderstorm. Uh, and, and the story goes that his uh, friend was hit by lightning. And after that event, Luther realised that he was not ready for heaven. He was not in a state fit for heaven. So he gave up his law and he became a monk. Uh, and then he tried to climb the three medieval ladders that people believed you had to climb to get to heaven. And the first was scholarship. Uh, which he'd been busily doing in, in training as a lawyer. And the second was religion. So he became a monk and he went on a pilgrimage to Rome. Uh, he climbed the sacred steps in Rome and every step he kissed as he went up. And then the third ladder was good works. And he sought to alleviate poverty and do good works like that. But none of it worked. Luther became miserable. 
And then when reading the book of Romans, Luther discovered that the righteousness of God was not something that you earned or climbed towards, but was a gift from God. And suddenly his chains fell off and his heart was gloriously free. Now, I want you to imagine with me, if you go into a bookstop, bookshop, bookshop, uh, and the bestseller was a personal diary. People were all crowding around to have a look at this personal diary. There was obviously some very interesting things in it. Everyone wanted to grab a copy. And I went over and, and grabbed up a copy and started to read it. And as I'm reading this diary uh, that is a bestseller, I recognize to my horror that it is the diary of my life. And the character says all the terrible things that I've ever said, the boasts, the lies, the impurities, the cruelty. But not only that, but it also reveals all the deeds that I've ever done, the acts of cruelness, the unkindness, and the selfishness. They're all there, and everyone is reading it. All the bad thoughts as well are there that I've ever had. And I feel horrendous. I feel, I feel sick in my stomach as everyone is, is reading this. And then I get to the last page uh, of this diary, and it says, this is the life of Jesus of Nazareth. Because everything that I've ever said and thought and done is transferred to Jesus. Well, there's another uh, book shelf there. Uh, not as many people are looking at this one. And I go over and have a look at that one. And I open it up and I read in this diary, it is the life of incredible courage and kindness. Someone who is always helping people. And the words by this person are always gracious and kind, honest and humble. And a life where the thoughts of this person are only pure. And at the end it reads this. It reads, this is the life of Craig Foster. Let me explain. Uh, everything that Jesus has said and done is transferred to me. It is the greatest gift ever given. The greatest swap. And isn't that amazing? That is justification. That Jesus is credited with everything recorded in our life. All the sins and everything. And then everything in his life, his perfect righteousness is credited to us. I have another book here that says Fred Hobbs. It's the private memoirs and confessions of a justified sinner. The confessions and uh, memoirs of Fred Hobbs. And as I open it and look at it, I see that every page is completely blank. There is nothing that is held against this person. All has been wiped clean, justified, freely forgiven. That's what happens with justification. It is as though we've never sinned. Isn't that great news? Well, not only that, it gets even better. Uh, not only has the, the, the slate been wiped clear, but the account is filled up. Verse 22, we see that the righteousness of God is given to us. What that means is that it's credited to us. The righteousness of Jesus is credited to us. Now let me explain. Imagine you have been taken uh, to a law court and you're charged with not paying your credit card. Okay, you have a $5,000 credit card bill that you haven't been able to pay and you're charged with it and you go before court and the judge says you're not guilty. We'll forgive you and your debt is wiped clear. Phew, great. You are amazed, overjoyed. But then the judge says, hang on, Mr. Foster, before you go, 
Not only is your $5,000 debt being forgiven, wiped out, but we've credited $100,000 into your account. And you're speechless. You can't believe this great news. But that is what being righteousness is credited means being credited to us. Our sins have been done away with forgiven, but our right, the righteousness of Jesus is transferred to us. It's been credited to us. So if you trust in Jesus, you are not only forgiven, you are declared as righteous. As God looks at you, your status before him is righteous. It is though we're holding Jesus's diary. His diary is our diary, and it is all a gift. Well, you can begin to see why the Reformation was so significant. So how do we receive this great gift? Well, it is by faith. Have a look at verse 25. It said, God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement, as a propitiation, through the shedding of his blood, to be received by faith. It is received by faith. Now, that word faith, it's unimportant in itself. It's, it's what you put your faith in that matters, what you put your trust in. So let's consider that if I had a, a nice a transparent glass here of, of liquid and I decide to drink it, believing that it was H2O, a nice cool glass of H2O, but it is actually H2SO4 and I die straight away. I believed it was water, but my belief was misplaced because it was sulfuric acid. So it's all about what you put your faith in, what you put your trust in. So the person who is justified is the one who puts his faith in Jesus, believing that Jesus died in my place. Have you done that? Wouldn't it be great to say on the 500th anniversary of the Reformation, Reformation Sunday, 2017, I put my faith in Jesus. I trusted that Jesus died for my sins. I accepted his free gift of justification, righteousness, so that God would see me just as if I had never sinned. Now, I want to finish today with how justification helps the Christian. What does it look like to live justification? Because we may think, I've accepted Jesus. I'm a Christian. Uh, how is this going to help me? How is justification going to help me this week? Uh, whether at home with the, with the kids, whether at school, whether at work, whether I've messed up in my life, how is it going to help me? And I just want to briefly highlight two points of application for the Christian. Firstly, justification gives the Christian incredible assurance in the face of death. This past week, uh, my father-in-law died. He died yesterday. And I had the incredible privilege of reading the Bible with him a number of times over the past few days. And he had a great trust in Jesus, a great peace because knowing that he was declared as righteous. When he would meet Jesus, he would be declared as righteous. Are you ready to meet Jesus? He said he was. He understood what had been done. He had assurance. What a gift. Now, what would you say if you died tonight and turned up at the pearly gates to meet Jesus? And he said, why should I let you in? Why should I let you into my kingdom? What would you say? It's such an important question. Perhaps you might say, I regularly go to church. I help out in the community. I've been faithful to my spouse. I've, I've sought to raise my children well. Now, if that is your response this morning, you are in deep trouble. If you're trusting in what you've done, you will not go to heaven. It's all what he has done for you. 
having his righteousness conferred on you. It's a gift and it must be received by faith. And this gives you incredible assurance. It's not arrogance. It's not boastful. It's not about what you do. It's about what Jesus has done for you. So you can confidently look forward to judgment day because if you trust in Jesus, when God looks at you, he sees you as he sees Jesus, as perfectly righteous. Do you have that assurance? Romans chapter 3, verses 21 to 26 says that we can, that we should. Well, secondly, justification gives the Christian incredible assurance when faced with guilt. Now, I know many of us struggle with the sins of our past. Even though we know we're forgiven, the guilt can continue to plague us and haunt us. But this goes against our status before God. God sees us as righteous. God sees us as just as we've never sinned. So we must not allow the mistakes and sins of our past to dictate our future. The Bible says in a couple of places, numerous places, Romans 103 verse 12 says, As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. In Hebrews 8 12, he says, For I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. Now perhaps you're here today and you continue to live with the guilt about past sins. Perhaps you live with the failure as a parent. Well, that does not define you today. God declares over you righteous, not guilty. Perhaps you live with the guilt of an abortion. Well, that does not shape you today. God declares over you righteous, not guilty. Perhaps you live with the guilt of some sexual sin. Well, that does not describe you today. God declares over you righteous, not guilty. Perhaps you live with the guilt of divorce. Well, that doesn't rule you today. God declares over you righteous, not guilty. Let me finish with an interesting word from American preacher John Piper about guilt in the sexual area, which I think could be applied to these other areas as well. Piper returned in the 1980s from a mission conference uh, and the George Verwer, who was the head of Operation Mobilization, said this uh, in the conference. He, Piper said, Verwer's burden in that conference was the tragic number of young people, like many of you, who Piper was spoke, speaking to, who at one point in their lives dreamed of radical obedience to Jesus and were joyfully willing to lay down their lives and sacrifice er anything to make Jesus known among the nations, but then faded away into useless American prosperity because of a gnawing sense of unworthiness and guilt over sexual failure that gradually gave way to spiritual powerlessness and the dead-end dream of middle-class security and comfort. So guilt can destroy our zeal for God. And Piper says that it's the substitutionary death of Christ, as does Luther, uh, as does the Bible, that, and justification by faith is the key for us in fighting against guilt. So justification... It's, it's not just a technical word, another theological word to add to your big uh, list of biblical words. It's a weapon to be in our hands day by day. It says to us again and again that God declares you righteous, declared righteous by Jesus, yesterday, today, tomorrow, and forever. What amazing assurance that we have for every Christian. Let's pray and give God great thanks for this. Father God, we thank you that you are a God who is just and wants to punish wrongdoing. But we thank you, Lord, that you're also a God who is merciful 
and seeks to forgive us. We thank you that you solved this great dilemma through sacrificing your son, Jesus, on the cross for us, that he took the penalty for us. And thank you that you now see us as justified, as perfectly righteous. You see us through Jesus. We thank you for this incredible status that we have. May we not forget that, Lord, but may we give you praise and thanks for what you have done for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.